Hello and welcome everyone to Digitales episode 72. My name is Fezan Sayed, founder and CEO of East River. And today I have someone who is going to talk about what the job market looks like in Pakistan. So if you're a college graduate or a recent to be soon graduate, this is the Digitales you need to watch. Asma Yusuf, the chief people officer at KFC, everyone's favorite fast food brand, is here to talk about HR, recruiting, people practices, how Gen Z is operating in the market, and much more. How are you, Asma? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. And so, my first question to you, is there 11 herbs and spices? <laughs> can you tell me what they are? Uh, no, but I can tell you what the 12th is, and that is our people. And I think that's where we should take up on the station. That is that's super cheesy. <laughs> but that's it's good. The truth. So your people actually make the KFC experience what it is. Yeah. And it's not just the chicken. No. And it's not just the breaded part. No, it's 100% our people because um, if they weren't there and they weren't so good at what they do, it wouldn't matter how good our recipe is. And what is it about the people? Why do you think it is the people at KFC that has led towards 7,000 employees, over 100 plus locations mm -hmm. nationwide yeah. uh, at a time where other fast food uh, chains like Pizza Hut have shut down? You guys are thriving. What is it about your people that sets you apart? Um, so I think 100% there's a lot of diversity in our people. Um, and when I say diversity, I don't just mean, um, you know, hiring women. Uh, it's a lot of um, socioeconomic diversity. Uh, because our restaurants are all over Pakistan, there's uh, people from all different parts of Pakistan. Um, not just the main cities, but really, really outreach places as well. Um, and I think... Um, you know, the culture that definitely uh, makes a big difference in making sure that our people come and they kind of stay as well. Um, also, I think purpose is a big thing now when it comes to, you know, um, enriching the uh, people factor. And um, not only are we trying to employ more women and making sure the practices are good when they join us, uh, but we also have a program. I don't know if you know about it. It's called Hearing with Heart. And what we do is we hire um, hearing impaired uh, employees and we have them actually trained and work at our stores. Um, so I think that just naturally, um, you know, breaks the intensity of the people fabric. You have more women in, you have people from different parts of the country, uh, different ages. And then you've got the hearing with heart employees that just add a lot of love to our. How do you get such diverse people? And, you know, Pakistan even though it's a United Nation, it's very fragmented by different communities. How do you get a nation fragmented by different communities in different parts of the world to unite under one brand and deliver the same service no matter where in Pakistan you are? How do you do that? Uh, so there's a few things. Um, we have strong teams in place. Um, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of support from the leadership. Um, our HR team is quite strong. Our um, restaurant operators are quite strong. The HR team being you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but no, I think um, it's also one of those organizations, by the way, um, that give a lot of um, importance and a lot of um, support to the people agenda. And that's really, really important. What do you mean by the people agenda? So you know how in the last um, 10 years, you've probably seen there's been a big shift in what HR used to be. Right. So it used to be a very admin, very back office kind of a role. Uh, but now it's all about really making the people grow, a lot more focus on capability, a lot more focus on training them. And so when you have that kind of an organization in place, 
Um, our CEO also, by the way, before um, he became CEO, he's also, um, you know, had some time as a chief people officer. So he really understands the focus on people um, and um, he's sold on that. So that really, really helps because when that's coming from the top, it's just a lot easier to focus on, you know, training, capability, focus on people. So HR is no longer a back office function. It's a super, super front facing um, function. Um, in Pakistan and very much so at Kiev. So you use the word training a lot. Yeah. You know, when you talk about training, what kind of trainings are you talking about? Is it is it training for the individual to serve the business better? Or is it also training for the individual to grow as an individual outside of the business? So uh, both. Uh, and uh, training has become, um, it's, it's one of my biggest, biggest agenda items. And it's something that now we're basically making a part of, um, you know, every level of the organization. Um, so now what we do is, so the technical training piece has been, um, you know, great throughout. Uh, you know, how do you actually operate um, in, you know, the kitchen, customer service is obviously big, uh, and then the different functions that we have at our, um, you know, head office. Uh, but now what we've started doing is really, really focusing on the softer side. So on the life skills part. Uh, which is not only going to make, um, you know, our people better at their jobs, but also make them better at life. So, for example, very recently, we collaborated with IBA and we uh, co-designed a program for our restaurant managers. And in that, not only did we teach them, you know, like the skills they need to run a restaurant, but also the skills to basically be better life managers. Like, for example, what, what, how would they be improving their life? So, um, you know, obviously it's going to happen over time, yeah. but, you know, skills like, um, you know, founder's mindset, for example, that's something that you don't necessarily learn on the job in a structured right. way. Um, now universities are starting to bring that in. But, you know, that whole thing about uh, having that entrepreneurial mindset, because when you have that, you run your business in a very different way. Right. So versus working for somebody else, the level of accountability shift, you know, so if you're making decisions, managing resources and conducting yourself as though it was your own business, the, you know, level at which you operate just really, really goes up in terms of accountability, in terms of perfection. So it's really nice. And um, it's almost like a mini MBA, if you can call it. And, uh, you know, I've just seen one set of our restaurant managers right. go through this. And um, I can already see a change in the way they are in terms of their confidence, in terms of their just, you know, how they carry themselves. And it's really beautiful because um, obviously we'd like to retain them because we're investing a lot in them. But for us, it's like even if they do move to another organization, whether it's in Pakistan or abroad, these skills will always be with them and will always basically, uh, you know, make them better individuals. So when we look at our trainings, we do them for uh, the purpose of being better at their job but also, you know, um, just excelling for it. Do you think you had, like, give me an example of someone who's been through a training like this that actually changed the way they live, like in terms of the way they interact with their family, the way they interact with their community, and even the way they interact with their self. So for example, Karachi is a fast-paced city, Pakistan, things are sort of unstable economically right now. And a lot of people are dealing with a lot of stress in terms of how to manage through this challenge. How can you provide training uh, uh, to the individuals, 7,000 of them, on how to deal with such circumstances? Mm, so, um, so there's a lot of different programs that we have in place. Um, we have started focusing more on well-being. Right. Um, 
And obviously, it's not um, easy to focus on all elements of well-being. So, you know, you have a lot of those kind of fancy programs and like wellness workshops and stuff. But that not everyone can afford. Not everyone can afford that and not everyone has access to it, right? Either, right? Because we have 115 restaurants across Pakistan and to be able to make it to each one of them and uh, train them on, uh, you know, the importance of wellness. But we've got our values. Um, right. You know, we've got our six core values. And they basically apply to the uh, people across the organization. Uh, so it's things like uh, believing in all people, teamwork, you know, stuff like that. So what we do is, um, <clears throat> you know, every few months, some kind of activity around those values, whether it's an engagement activity, whether it's uh, an actual training for, uh, you know, our head office people, um, or it's just, you know, going into the restaurants and uh, recognizing, you know, um, a restaurant that's done really well, mm -hmm. a team that's, you know, outperformed. Recognition is a big, big piece, um, you know, that we really focus on. And I think that really works well with the whole um, well-being agenda, because when you're working so hard, you're putting in all those hours and you get recognized, um, you know, it, it really, really, you know, that's that's what really matters. Does recognition really work? Because... Own organizations work really hard. Here's a certificate, job well done, pat on the back. And people say it really works. But in this, this current situation, a pat on the back doesn't solve my financial problems at home. You know, if if, if inflation's at 30%, if devaluation's at 40%, a certificate doesn't change my life. 5,000 extra rupees every month does. How does an organization of your size, 7,000 employees deal with that? I mean... Does recognition work in such an such an environment? So look, it's um, it's not just one thing. So recognition is a big part, right? And yes, it does work because it's the kind of recognition you do. Um, you know, it's not just a pat in the back. It's um, it's basically um, in line with the whole process that operates. So you know, um, if you know that there's certain values that you're being assessed on, and uh, you are being called out separately, say by the leadership team or your restaurant general manager. Um, it does work, but it doesn't work alone. Uh, yeah. You know, the uh, compensation and salary part is something that we work on every year. And slowly, slowly, bit by bit, we try and, um, you know, make those um, areas better, which are really, really the need of the hour. Uh, but I think what really actually helps us is the whole engagement piece as well. Um, you know, just making sure that uh, people feel like their um, lives are being enriched a little, whether it's a small activity, whether right. it's whatever. But I will still come back and say that capability building is the one thing that works best for us because you're enriching them with skills that help them do their jobs better, but also make them more marketable and also make them excel further within KFC. So with this program that I was talking to you about, right. uh, they're becoming stronger managers. So their time to get to the senior manager level is immediately reduced. Right. So I think capability would be my number one, um, you know, focus area on actually even managing in these circumstances because with everything that's happening, a lot of organizations have had to prioritize their training right. plans as well. Uh, we've had to as well, of course, but um, we are looking to basically cut back on other things but not impact the capability agenda because that's something that has... Uh, really, really good return on investment. And if we don't build our people, not only will they not stay with us, but they won't operate well while they're with us. So, And, and you're saying building people and building capability. And this is something that all multinationals do. And they really focus on building, developing, investing in their people 
so that the people can sort of take on a path of leadership yeah. in the organization. Or even if they don't, they're graduates that are out there that become spokespeople for the organization, yeah. which helps in turn recruiting more people. But there's got to be a difference in how recruiting takes place for a multinational. And you worked for Unilever for 13 years. You covered different markets uh, and you led the HR teams for different markets. How is that different in terms of recruiting? Because it's a multinational present in those markets versus here, you have a franchise operator that's essentially a Pakistani business that is carrying a franchise of a global business. Is there any difference? Yeah, so while we do have our parent company from which we get a lot of our guidelines and we get a lot of our uh, training programs right. as well, um, and you know we do report our metrics into them, uh, there's a lot of flexibility um, you know, uh, to operate locally. And that's actually what works to our biggest advantage because... Um, there's a lot more um, freedom to operate, of course, within a framework, but there's a lot more freedom to operate. Um, there's a lot of diversity in the hiring. And, uh, you know, like I mentioned before, it's diversity in the reach of hiring. Uh, the industry itself is so different. It's so much more fast-paced. Um, it's um, full retail. So right. it's literally, um, you know, if you call it a 24-7, um, you know, uh, around-the-clock industry because... Although our restaurants operate for a certain, you know, period of hours in a day, uh, the support that's given, the, you know, um, back The cleaning staff, the back end, that runs all day it long. It runs all day long. And so, um, you know, there's a lot more shift management that you have to do. Um, obviously, the turnover is much higher as well. So you always have to be kind of, you know, doing everything you do. So it's everything from LinkedIn advertisements to actual... Um, you know, newspaper ads, that's something that we, because you have to target every single kind of yeah. tier of, um, you know, people who live in this country. Absolutely. So everyone from a delivery rider or a cleaner at a restaurant to a leadership team member yeah. um, or, you know, an operation. Everyone loves KFC. <laughs> so, um, so, no, it's different because the industry is different. The pace is different. And, uh, but what's great is you have, um, you know, a lot more, uh, flexibility to build structures and do things your own way. And you don't have to follow global compliance as long look as long as you're making sales and making money. Why do you have to follow any of the global compliance? I mean, the, because you are a local business, right? No, but the the compliance bit and the value bit and all of that that's non-negotiable. Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah, that's one hundred percent. So they're also interested in the people development as much as they are in let's say the revenue side of the business. Yeah, one hundred percent. So the compliance part, the business part, and the people. So if they see that the people are not getting the kind of training or the culture and values to only exist on the ground that match global, do you think they can revoke a franchise? Uh, but the money, but the business is making a ton of money. No, but that's never happened because the business cannot make a ton of money unless, unless it people has... are energized, uh, trained, and capable. So that hasn't happened yet. So it's not the chicken then, it's the people. How? <laughs> it's the people making the chicken. It's the people making the chicken. You also touched on diversity. And I want to come back to something that's slightly tricky to discuss. There is, you talked about diversity in, let's say, a socioeconomic background. You talked about diversity in gender, in differently abled individuals. There's also a new form of diversity. And I bring this up because, you know, on your LinkedIn profile, you're one of the few people who actually has pronouns. Right? There's diversity in gender identity. Have you had to deal with that in Pakistan? 
Um, yeah, I have actually. Um, in fact, when I was working at Unilever, um, uh, my team and I, we actually, <clears throat> we actually launched um, a whole hiring um, program on the transgender population in Pakistan. And uh, we had to do that quite um, strategically and very, very slowly because obviously the acceptance is not 100% here yet, even just on the trans. Did you hire? Did that company ever hire someone? Yeah, we did. We did. Uh, so, but How does that integration work? Um, I mean, it wasn't easy, but what we did was, so we worked with an NGO, a Kuwaits, who they, you know, they, they work with the transgender community. Uh, they train them and they um, create placement opportunities with them. So we partnered with them. First, we educated ourselves, uh, you know, even myself. I had to really understand what does the community um, kind of entail. Um, I had to actually spend a lot of time with them. Um, you know, a lot of them are uh, graduates from good universities. They've worked at great places. Uh, it was just the opportunity that wasn't being given to them. Right. Uh, so we actually partnered with some transgender, um, uh, you know, uh, friends at Akuat. And they actually helped us build a whole sensitization program. And then we traveled across Pakistan to all of our offices, factories, uh, sales, distribution centers. And we actually trained 100% of our population uh, on the fact that, um, you know, what is it to even be a transgender? What are yeah. their rights in Pakistan? Because yeah. we have a lot of rights yeah. in Pakistan. Why are they really not that different? Yeah. And, uh, you know, all those biases. And we actually had a transgender actually share her experiences because right. that makes it a lot more real. On the transgender front, the training program that you had, how can one week or a little bit of training, two, three months of training, really change the perception of people? Because they've grown up for years with a perception. Like, how does that work? I mean... So, um, you know, I think uh, it takes time. But the reason why the training, I'm not saying the training was a transformation. It was a start because a lot of these people, including myself, when you know we started this journey, um, I did not know the difference biologically between. So what, what were the questions that would come up? I mean, really random stuff like um, are transgender, transgender is born with both organs are, um, you know, if I'm uh, if I'm a girl and I cover my head and I'm sitting with a trans girl, do I have to still cover my head? Um, can I use the same bathroom as a trans? Uh, yeah. You know, so really absurd questions. But, you know, honestly, um, if you're getting the chance to put an end to that absurdity and actually give people that awareness and basic knowledge, it's a really good starting point. Because through that training, um, you know, there were tears and there was laughter. But at the end of it, everyone came out much more educated. Wow. And that's the starting point. And do you think all organizations take part in this kind of training and development and, and, and sort of inclusion? Well, or is it specific to this one multinational? No, so I know that a couple of other uh, organizations also did. I know L'Oreal had hired some trans um, community members. Um, it is something that is gaining traction. And uh, I think, uh, look, when we launched this program, we actually shared our best practices, not just with local organizations, but with uh, global organizations as well. Um, you know, we spoke at seminars. Uh, we shared our experience. And look, everything wasn't easy, you know, in our journey. Um, but we shared what worked, what we needed to do more. And uh, we're hopeful that, you know, even if it makes a difference to a few and um, it's it's not even about, you know, hiring them per se. It's about 
changing that mindset and just really gaining that acceptability that is the main issue here so you know even if our pakistani population they basically uh, accept and understand um that's a huge huge achievement hiring to is baat ki baat because that can happen later but if that acceptability is in there and you're doing it as like a token hire it mm-hmm. doesn't make sense right so and 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 it's like you have to give that pushback you know and it's the same with like the disability agenda you have to give that pushback um you know now there's this like mandate where you have to have a certain percentage of um, you know persons with disabilities in your organization um but my fear is that people will just hire them to get that kind of tick mark but right. won't have the infrastructure available or the integration have. and the cultural yeah. inclusion and everything what do you call them um, yeah. so we we had this um you know it's interesting we're talking about this but um just yesterday we launched our sign language training program at KFC and we did that because when we go to stores to visit you know just to see how the employees are doing and recognize them and stuff we have our um hearing impaired disabilities working at you know some of right. our stores uh, we call them hearing with heart and um it's really embarrassing for me when i'm standing over there and i'm unable to communicate to them i feel like an outsider because they're communicating with each other at the stores they're communicating with the uh, you know customers because we've got those um signs up and stuff but i'm kind of standing there only knowing how to say thank you and for me that's embarrassing because if you've got you know hearing with heart employees working in your organization you need to be able to communicate with them right um and a lot of people do so all the restaurant general managers do a lot of people in my leadership team they know sign language uh, but also pakistani sign language is very different from you know american sign language and british sign language i learned this yesterday by mm-hmm. the way so we're doing a program now where uh the hr team the admin team our entire leadership team and the management of a restaurant where you have hearing with heart employees has to uh you know it's mandatory for them to learn the sign language end to end not just picking it up at the stores but right. really learning it end to end so we partner with defreach so they're coming in and teaching us um and again this is a small step but you know this is something you have to do um if you want to become a diverse organization you need to start having the infrastructure in place right. uh, if you have people coming to work in a wheelchair you need to make sure there's ramps installed right um if you've got people um working you know out of wheelchairs the you know desk level has to yep. be certain so it's, it's a completely only, different infrastructure yeah, setup and you have to do that first and you have to do the sensitization as well Yeah, you um, can't just hire people with different backgrounds and not provide them the so support. So that's the thing. So I think yeah. once you um get the uh kind of awareness, knowledge, sensitivity and infrastructure and baby steps by the way. We don't have to do it all in one go. Baby steps, bring them in, make them feel included because what is inclusion, yeah. right? They're supposed to feel included and not stand out. Right. If you don't have these basics in place, they will never feel included. What about the more recent phenomenon of gender fluidity where the identity of the gender can vary let's say a man identifies as a woman a woman identifies as a man i mean we're seeing this more in the western culture yeah. do you think that will make its way here and if so what kind of challenge does it pose to hr functions in any organization because talent is talent right yeah. regardless of gender identity regardless of socio economic background how do you deal with that in a slightly more conservative society like ours so um 
again, you know, it's something you have to deal with with a little bit of care and a little bit of sensitivity. Um, it's like, you know, back in the day when um, we started hiring women in non-conventional roles, you know, more women in sales, more women in supply chain, you had to do a lot of sensitization and you had to do a lot of infrastructural changes to sort of, you know, one of my old bosses, she was one of the first women uh, ever hired in sales and her office didn't have a, a bathroom for females, for example. Right. So small changes like this. Um, I think you just have to sensitize the people. That's all really. Because, you know, sometimes a lot of people, um, they're not biased or opposed to these things. They just don't know. They don't have the awareness and they don't have the knowledge. So give that to them. Make it a mandate that, look, uh, we welcome all kinds of diversity. And look, it's going to probably be certain companies who can do it and certain companies who can't do it right now. Right. But I think the more companies who do it, the bigger companies who do it, talk about it, share their best practices. Um, you know, it, it's just like how then more women join the workforce, then more, um, you know, um, uh, persons with disabilities join the workforce. You had to make changes and bring in that acceptability and it wasn't easy, but it's happened. Right. So this is just another one. Of those. It's another one of those yeah. functions. Yeah. I'm going to switch gears a little bit and I'm going to give you choices. <laughs> There's going to be one, two, three, four, five, six. I just kind of made this up on the fly. Multiple choice? Uh, yeah, okay. you, but you have to choose one. You have to choose one. I'll give you a scenario. The scenario is <clears throat> entry-level managerial position, Okay. right? You have to choose one or the other. Okay. IBA or LUMS? IBA. Um, experienced or fresh graduate? Experienced. Honest or competent? Honest. Foreign grad or a local grad? Local grad. And liberal arts major or a business major? Liberal arts major. Okay. Walk me through this. I understand all of them. Why would you pick someone honest over competent? What if their honesty is amazing? But their incompetence can cost you a billion rupees. So, but the in, but the competent person can make you a billion rupees. Maybe maybe they'll keep fifty million on the side. So this is going to sound very bookish, but it is very bookish because, like I told you, the values and code of conduct uh, they're not. Leave all that aside. In Pakistani businesses, come on. I swear. Like I mean, how many times have you heard RG get chance? At least get back a market to there. No, honestly, um, you steal one French fry at KFC and you're out. Is that strict? It's very strict. So it can be the most competent person, but... But a lot of local businesses and you, I'm sure you've heard this say, right? You know, they are willing to look away as long as 95% of it is okay. I'm not subscribing to that. Mm. I do not subscribe to that at all. I'm saying that that's how some of the local businesses work. Which is why this question comes up a lot. Look, but uh, competency can be taught, right? If you're not at a certain level. To a certain level, but honesty, like if you're a dishonest person, right? you can't really, even if you do try to make them an honest person by teaching them about values and integrity. Can you convert a dishonest person into an honest no. person? But you can you convert an incompetent person to a competent yeah. person? One. By the right kind of training. Yeah. And mentoring and coaching and look, it'll be much harder. Yeah. 
but the outcome will be but wouldn't dishonesty maybe uh, couldn't dishonesty maybe uh, an outcome of circumstances that if those circumstances are changed and the right kind of training provided the individual also adapts but honesty is the best policy always <laughs> <laughs> so then okay if i'm then then let me ask you since you love honesty why why ibo over lumps oh um it's so it's uh, i went to ib for a semester and so the bias the alumni bi- bias. the alumni bias huh? so you can't say lump literally there for a semester yeah. um no i think ib because um how is the student different or how is the individual different relative to lumps Can I say this on? Of course you mine? can. I want you to say it. I think the Ivy students are a little more humble. So you're saying the lums are egotistical, no. bloated individual. No, it's just literally more humble. <laughs> I really like lums by the way. Their programs, their quality of education. Um I just uh, yeah, maybe it is. I'd heard I'd heard this phrase. Now that you're saying it comes back to me that Unilever PNGs like India Pakistan. One of them takes from iba the other one takes from nums the bulk of people that's what i'd heard is that true um not anymore there were a couple of years where it was happening a lot right. but um both have their management trainee programs and somehow because we were going to only you know uh, key universities at the time which was about a handful like 6 to 8 across pakistan um it was the you know the the tests would bring in the lums and iba but a few years back we uh, completely revamped the management trainee program at least at unilever i'm not sure what png is doing uh, but a lot more diversification came in uh, we removed the university cap as well and so a lot more different students of different you know um faculties etc came in and uh, because of that we uh, got exposed to a lot more talent also we Uh, we dropped the whole logical numeric reasoning uh, test as okay. part of that uh, and that was actually what these key university students used to ace so once we got rid of that now the mix is you know far greater we have um you know uh, management trainees at unilever who came in from ksbl who came in from nast who came in from a lot of different universities across pakistan so that's been It dissolved a little bit. And you talk a lot about inclusion and diversity. Let's talk a little bit about this younger generation, Gen Z, that's coming into the workplace, right? How do you make them feel included? Because it's almost as if, no matter where they go, they don't feel included, which is why they switch jobs very often, and they're unable to find that longevity. That let's say the Gen Y or the let's say the Boomers, and then. the gen x after that used to have in their careers early on mm-hmm. these guys are always hopping around is it because they don't feel inclusion in the workplace um i think there's a few things uh, so obviously like you know i'm always reading on this topic and uh, we've had a lot of because everyone who's graduating now now they have a different uh, gen alpha that's right. coming into yep. I, i don't even know what's going to happen there but the thing is that um There's a few basics that the Gen Zs seem to want. Um there's a little bit of flexibility they want. There's a little bit of um you know freedom to voice their opinions. Uh but one big thing for them is they need a sense of purpose when they come to work. Um 
you know, back in the day, uh, purpose meant only, I think, you know, everyone used to think it means doing something for the community, but it's much bigger than that. Uh, so I think giving them... Isn't making money a purpose? Of course, it is. But so then why don't they want to make money? They do, but they want to do it their own way on their own time. So even the ones who we see working with but us... But that is very much in contrast to the kind of environment we're in because our traditional employers, local businesses, traditional businesses love to track time, love to deduct for being 15 minutes late, yeah. you know, and, you know, I mean, that just completely works against the ethos of these Gen Alphas and Gen Zs. Yeah. How will that ever sink? So you have to find that... Um, the state is not changing. You have to find that happy... The kid ground. is not changing. Yeah, but you have to find that happy middle ground. And what happens till that ground is found? It's disruption in the workplace. So, no, so reverse mentoring is something that's really worked in this space, by the way. What's reverse mentoring? Reverse mentoring is, so instead of me mentoring uh, Gen Z who's come in into my team, I get them to advise me on certain aspects of how I run my department. Typical response from a business <laughs> owner, usko kya pata? Huh? Typical response from any business owner, usko kya pata? Hai, abhi bachcha hai. They just graduated from college. What are they going to do? Sure, maybe show, show me how to use my Instagram or Snapchat. <laughs> I learned that from you. But what are you going to tell me about business? But see now... That's the mindset, right? Like that's the challenge that I think a lot of... I hear from the business community. Yeah. That's one of the biggest challenges they have is they're young. They're unable to retain them. They feel they're unable to understand what their needs are, which is why they're probably not able to retain them. Money is not the solution to the problem. It's not that, oh, I'll give you more money and you'll stay. Sure, in this economic environment, it helps. But there is a purpose component, right? And there's more to it. How long will it take for people to figure that out? Because, I mean, and then if you look at the West, right? There was the great resignation mid-COVID, uh, mid right at the end of COVID. And then there was this whole concept of quiet quitting, mm. where you showed up at work, you just appeared, but did nothing. You know, and the Gen Alphas basically are great at that. They appear, they seem to do work, but they're not around. They'll respond to an email maybe. They may not answer the phone. They may answer the phone, but they'll be taking their paycheck and it'll be a month or two before you figure out what's really going on. And that's called quiet quitting. How do you work through these challenges with this younger generation? That is, that is let's say, primed to be rewarded instantly through likes and comments and shares on their social platforms. That doesn't happen in a workplace. No. So um, it's tough. It's really tough for HR um, teams. It's tough for business owners. Um, but um, it's getting better. Uh, we'll have to come to a hybrid model of operating. You know how when COVID hit, everyone just had to work from home, regardless of whether they were prepped for it or not. And now that it's okay, and a lot of companies didn't do well um, working from home. Some had to shut down. Uh, some just didn't have that accountability in place. Some didn't, again, have that infrastructure in place. But it was a, you know, huge global disaster and everyone was forced to kind of adapt to it. Now that we're back to working from the office, and this is just one example, a lot of organizations um, globally uh, either work from home or they've adopted a hybrid model. In Pakistan, um, there's some companies who have, some companies who haven't. And, you know, this is the whole thing because that old school way of working where you have to be at the office and it's not about the work you do, but it's about the time that you spend at work is still obviously there. But 
um, honestly, it's fading and it has to fade because people are realizing that if we kind of um, stick to those super conventional ways of operating, we're not going to be able to attract or retain this fresh talent, right? And yeah, for super managerial roles, we need the experience, we need, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, but we need a lot of like fresh infusion of ideas um, because also a lot of companies, um, organizations are starting to operate like startups, at least, mm. you know, certain departments. They have their entrepreneurial they culture. They've got that going, but they need, you know, yeah. younger, fresher, like open-minded people to actually do that. And a lot of organizations are doing that. So what we're doing is we're agreeing on the few non-negotiables that we don't want to part with. So, you know, things like respect and following the values and uh, maintaining a certain, um, you know, range that you need to operate in a work day, um, you know, bringing in a, a slightly piloted, structured work from home models, bringing in reverse mentoring so they feel like they're being heard. Uh, and also educating ourselves a little more on right. what is it that they actually want. Right. Um, because, uh, again, it's a diverse pool of talent coming in. It's a pool of talent we haven't seen before. Right. It's a pool of talent that's very different from even us because we grew up in a very... We were the mixed generation. The, yeah, but we were the last of yeah. the uh, generation that we actually... Last of the, we were actually the best generation. We really were. <laughs> because we have both. We can work we Instagram... Do. And we can also read a traditional print paper. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think... So I think both should learn from us. We yes. should be the ones imparting knowledge. Say, <laughs> but you, you know, you said it. So no, but you have to strike that balance, right. you know. And so don't compromise on the respect and the non-negotiables, the compliance, the ethics, the culture, you know, all of that. But be a little open-minded accept ideas, accept them as a diverse stream of talent that we can actually learn from and uh, really upskill ourselves too. So we can upskill them with our experience, but let's upskill ourselves with their insights. So if we can come to that understanding and slowly, slowly get there, I think, you know, we'll really be able to not just bring them in, but retain them as well. But they're amazing. Their ideas are great. Um, Absolutely. When they right. want to be efficient, they are... Oh, they're, they're the fastest when yeah. they want to be. They're the brightest when they want to be. And when they're on, they're on. Yeah, yeah. But keeping them on, yeah, that's so a challenge. We have to do more. It's like the electric supply in this country. <laughs> we have to do more <laughs> of the work in this space. Yeah. Asma, thank you so much for the time. I had a great chat. There's so much happening in the people management space. Um, I think it's a very interesting time to be, uh, you know, some a representative in an organization focused on people because... Just the way the world is changing, the younger population is coming in, the type of diversity that we need to start including, I think, and you know the kind of work being done at your organization, the diversity that you guys have and what you're doing is amazing. I wish you all the success. And uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you for the opportunity. I had a great time. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Stay tuned next week for another episode of Digitales. Subscribe the show below if you like it. Bye-bye. 